Does China have enough food to feed its people? After months of summertime flooding in recent years and a three-year COVID-19 lockdown that locked farmers inside their homes and away from their fields, the Chinese Communist Party says the country has reaped bountiful harvests for the past 13 years. But at the same time, it's encouraging citizens to add something called rice bran into their diets. The fiber is usually reserved for livestock feed and fuel making and was only consumed widely by Chinese people during the Great Famine. What do you think is behind the directive? And is China headed toward food scarcity? Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Ellie Hart, in for Tiffany Meyer. Food security back in the spotlight in China. The Chinese Communist Party is encouraging citizens to add something called rice bran into the diets. The news comes from a recent directive and is triggering questions about whether the country really has as much food supplies as Beijing claims. Rice bran is a byproduct of the rice milling process. It comes from the outer layer of rice grains. The fiber is mainly used as livestock feed or fuel, while some is also pressed into cooking oil. The last time Chinese people ate rice bran on a large scale was in the 1950s and 1960s, during the Great Famine. The disaster saw 30 million people starve to death. Due to the severe lack of food, people started eating rice bran. But earlier this month, China's National Health and Medical Commission shared a statement on its official website. It calls rice bran beneficial to people's health, and it describes eating it as a way to reduce food waste. The statement instructs related authorities to promote the use of rice bran as food. China-based commentator Zhang Jinping discussed the news in an interview with Radio Free Asia. He explained oil can be extracted from rice bran, but its nutritional value is far lower than that of rice. China said it's had a bumper harvest every year for 13 consecutive years, and that grain production has increased every year. Doesn't that contradict itself? Millions of oil barrels from America's strategic reserve getting sold to China, and more than a dozen senators now trying to stop it with the bill. But the president says he'll veto it if the measure arrives on his desk. Senator Ted Cruz has proposed new legislation that would block the U.S. from selling oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve to China and Chinese Communist Party-owned companies. The Texas lawmaker cited a report that the Biden administration last year sold nearly six million barrels of oil from the reserve to Chinese state-owned company Sinopec. Cruz said that President Biden sold a portion of, quote, this critical national security asset to the Chinese Communist Party when the CCP was stockpiling oil for its own strategic use. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm said that Biden will veto the bill if it passes Congress. Granholm warned Republicans that limiting the president's authority to tap the nation's oil reserves would undermine national security, cause crude oil shortages, and raise gasoline prices. The proposed bill is called the Protecting America's Strategic Petroleum Reserve from China Act. It's co-sponsored by 15 other Republican senators. TikTok's chief executive is soon to make his first ever appearance before a congressional committee. TikTok chief executive Shou Zichu will testify before the U.S. Energy and Commerce Committee in March. The panel's GOP chair, Congresswoman Kathy McMorris-Rogers, made the announcement Monday. In that statement, she accused the video-sharing app of knowingly allowing the Chinese Communist Party to access American user data. TikTok has more than 100 million U.S. users and is owned by Chinese developer ByteDance. Under Chinese law, companies must hand over data to Beijing authorities if they ask for it. 
Rogers added that Americans deserve to know how these actions impact their privacy and data security, as well as what actions TikTok is taking to keep our kids safe from online and offline harms. TikTok confirmed on Monday Chu would testify. The news comes as the House Foreign Affairs Committee plans to hold a vote next month on a new bill. The measure aims to block the use of TikTok in the U.S., citing national security concerns. Outside the U.S., other nations are also ramping up scrutiny on TikTok. Australia's competition regulator said Friday it would check up on social media influencers. That's to make sure they're correctly disclosing their affiliation with brands they promote. It plans to inspect over 100 influencers in areas like fashion, cosmetics, food and beverage, travel, fitness, parenting, gaming and technology. Individuals found in breach could face fines up to $1.7 million. Likewise, the Dutch government has advised its agencies not to use TikTok. The recommendations involve not using the app for advertising and government communications. Data security concerns around Chinese-owned TikTok are growing. There may be a way for the video sharing to save its U.S. operations by selling itself to an American company. But could the company really sever ties with its Chinese parent ByteDance? Let's take a closer look. Republican Congressman Mike Gallagher is among those who have proposed a nationwide ban. And Gallagher says that if TikTok sells itself to an American company, this would be a workable solution. But would that really solve the problem? We spoke to tech researcher Jake Denton from the Heritage Foundation. The realities of the internet, the realities of these kind of massive social media companies is that backdoors exist, that, you know, a rogue employee within Microsoft or in any of these companies could potentially still grab the exact same data of targeted users and get it back to Beijing. And their inner knowledge of these platforms, right, the way that TikTok works, what they can collect, where it's stored, is going to pose a massive threat. Denton says that potentially two years after a sale, we may find ourselves in the exact same situation. The CCP may still be able to look at our data. We spoke to Bob Bilbrook, founder of a tech consultancy firm and a tech investor, and he agrees. He tells us that selling to a U.S. company would not solve the problem. They're still going to be attached to the Chinese government, and they're a Chinese-based company. So although that may appear... (laughs) As far as market or Wall Street would be concerned as a a safe play, I don't think anybody would believe that for a second. As long as they are headquartered in China and their lifeblood is connected to the Chinese government like that, I think you're going to see, you know, at least people like me in the tech industry that don't trust that. Now, if TikTok is willing to sell itself, analysts believe a handful of contenders may be interested. Meta, Alphabet, Microsoft, Apple, even Elon Musk could all be in the running. In the U.S., all federal employees will soon be prohibited from using TikTok on government-issued devices. On top of that, more than 25 states have also taken action against the app. Some universities have joined the list, too, and the next move might come from Florida. University officials there are considering banning students from using the app on 12 campuses across the state. President Biden is extending a program that protects Hong Kong residents in the U.S. from deportation. He just signed off on a two-year extension of the program. Here's the latest. The White House National Security Council said in a statement, with this action, we are demonstrating again President Biden's strong support for the people of Hong Kong in the face of increasing repression by the PRC. 
Biden first authorized the protection program 18 months ago, and it was set to expire this February. The White House says the national security law is being used to deny the people of Hong Kong their human rights and fundamental freedoms. A show of U.S. military power in some of the world's most hotly contested waters, the South China Sea. Dozens of combat planes and helicopters roaring on and off the flight deck of U.S. aircraft carrier Nimitz. Here's more. Military aircraft bearing pilot call signs like Fozzie Bear, Pig Sweat, and Bongu emit deafening screams as they land amid drizzle on the Nimitz. The fleet made up of MH-60 Seahawk helicopters and F-A-18 Hornet jets. The Nimitz aircraft carrier is leading a strike group that entered the South China Sea two weeks ago. We're just here to move aircraft, make sure it's done safely, make sure people don't get hurt, make sure that we can operate and send the aircraft up the flight deck, do what they got to do. The presence of the U.S. carrier strike group is riling China. Beijing sees the South China Sea as part of its backyard and claims almost the entire region as Chinese territory, though an international court ruling denied that claim. The carrier strike group's commander, Rear Admiral Christopher Sweeney, called the action part of U.S. commitment to upholding freedom of passage in the waters. One-third of global shipping passes through the South China Sea. Beijing conducts regular military exercises there and maintains a large presence of both Coast Guard and fishing vessels far off the coast of its mainland. It's a source of frequent tension with neighboring countries. Back to the U.S. presence, naval activity in the region has been heating up. A U.S. destroyer recently sailed through the sensitive Taiwan Strait. That's the body of water separating mainland China and Taiwan. And two weeks before that mission, a Chinese Navy fighter jet came within 10 feet of a U.S. Air Force plane over the South China Sea. The incident set off alarms about Chinese provocation. Washington's presence in the South China Sea has been welcomed by allies like Japan, South Korea, the Philippines, and Australia. And in the West Pacific, the American Marine Corps officially opened its first new base in 70 years last week. The facility is located on the island of Guam and is expected to host 5,000 Marines in the future. The U.S. Treasury sanctioning a Chinese satellite manufacturer Thursday. An investigation has revealed the company's supply satellite imagery to Russia for the Ukraine war. It's known as Space-T, or the Tianyi Space Science and Technology Research Institute. The private company is based in Changsha City of China's Hunan province, with offices in Beijing and Luxembourg. According to the Treasury, it allegedly gave Russia satellite images in order to enable Wagner combat operations in Ukraine. The Wagner Group is a de facto private army, directly under the control of Russian President Vladimir Putin. The U.S. has labeled it a transnational crime organization. What's more, Wagner has sent thousands of soldiers to fight for Russia and Ukraine. The Treasury sanctions block all transfers, payments, and exports of any U.S. property or interest to Space-T. The company not yet publicly responded to the move. NTD's sister media, the Epoch Times, found far-reaching ties between Spacety and China's military, the People's Liberation Army. The company is also reportedly partnered with Beijing's military civil fusion project, one of the Chinese regime's leading efforts to modernize and develop its military. The satellite maker is one of 16 total entities to get slapped with U.S. sanctions, all of them believed to be part of the Wagner's global network. Next, an update on China's COVID-19 outbreak. China's hospitals inundated with the sick and the elderly during the Lunar New Year holiday, despite authorities reporting the nation's COVID-19 wave is coming to an end. 
What's more, Chinese health officials also say there was no infection rebound during last week's travel surge. But as of Saturday, fresh footage shared online shows a hospital in a central Chinese province still swarmed with patients. A staff member from another hospital in eastern China reported a similar situation, widespread overcrowding. The availability of beds is currently very tight. After the Lunar New Year, they are all full, full beds every day. And it's not just outpatients, but also many inpatients. Another clip shows a Shanghai resident reporting several deaths from a local hospital's ward. According to a social media post from a local resident, Shanghai Hospital's emergency room is seeing long wait times for treatment. That's as people stand in a line stretching all the way from the building to the road outside. The resident explained that his grandmother had never seen anything like it. Likewise, the post details how a community security guard said he hears about new local deaths happening daily. According to another resident, during the outbreak's peak, a different hospital in Shanghai could report more than 100 deaths a day. Hospitals still have many patients, especially the elderly, and most of them need IV drips and are seated along the corridor, waiting for their turn. Their backlogs at many Shanghai crematoriums. The official death toll is far from the actual situation. China's official COVID-19 data is believed to be vastly underreported. Eyewitness reports are still flowing out of China, putting more global scrutiny on Beijing and making any potential cover-ups harder to conceal. With Beijing's pandemic rules lifted, will Chinese shoppers finally head back to the West for luxury goods? The answer may not be so clean-cut. While some Chinese will go abroad, others will opt to shop at home. An expert explains why. Thousands of Chinese tourists crowded into a duty-free shopping center in the south of Hainan Island for the Lunar New Year holiday. There, they stocked up on luxury cosmetics and designer handbags. When we went shopping at Harrods in the UK, the prices were a lot cheaper than those in China, and you could claim a tax refund. But the whole tax refund process is rather complicated, unlike duty-free shopping in Sanya here. Whatever we buy is already tax-free. It's more convenient. Earlier this month, China lifted COVID-19-related travel restrictions for all travelers. The rush for airline tickets abroad immediately jumped up 200 percent. While luxury brand retailers abroad are hoping for a sales boom from Chinese tourists, experts believe that more and more spending on luxury goods will remain at home. Given the, the last three years, you know, the, the COVID lockdown, a lot of consumers, they already have a habit, you know, to purchase locally for the luxury goods. And also, you know, given the, the policy of the, the, the repatriation, uh, a lot of, you know, consumption will also happen in, in Hainan. Yan added that a portion of luxury shoppers will still return to their original pre-pandemic buying habits overseas. Spiraling death tolls, unchecked virus spread, COVID-19 has wrecked havoc on the world's second largest economy. But is the outbreak shaking the foundation of Beijing's rule? An expert weighs in. An expert says the Chinese Communist Party is facing an unprecedented crisis, both for its reputation and economy. Yuan Hongbing is an Australian-based jurist, an expert on law. He also participated in China's 1989 Tiananmen Square protests, where students gathered to ask for democracy and better access to education. Yuan is known for his wide contacts with Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, insiders. According to him, Chinese leader Xi Jinping is now staring down a crisis like never before. On the surface, the edifice of the CCP remains solid, as Xi's people have controlled all the key positions in the party. But in reality, 
In the minds of the people, she is a loner. As soon as an accident occurs that changes the balance of his power, that edifice will collapse. Yuan explained Xi's power grab has been dented by the blank paper movement. Outraged by harsh COVID-19 lockdown measures, mass protests broke out across China late last year. Demonstrators called for Xi Jinping to step down and for an end to the rule of the Chinese Communist Party. The movement got its name from protesters holding up blank sheets of paper, a symbol of the country's lack of freedom of speech. Xi's reputation plummeted further after a sudden retreat from the nation's zero-COVID-19 policy sent death waves through the nation. Some of my friends in Beijing say that many officials are now openly scolding Xi when they go out for dinner. They are not afraid anymore, as many people are scolding him anyway, especially those whose family members have died. On the other hand, grassroots officials are approaching their work with what's called a lying-flat attitude. The now-trendy term in China refers to a lifestyle of slacking off and of doing just enough to get by. As for what's behind the lying-flat trend, it extends beyond frustration with Xi's COVID-19 missteps and involves the economy. In China, civil servants usually receive generous performance bonuses and other allowances, often several times higher than their base salaries. But Yuan said it's different this year. It's now common for local officials below the provincial level to receive less pay for the Lunar New Year. In 60 percent of counties in China, officials are forced to buy long-term bonds. That's how the party is coping with its fiscal crisis. Big health spending plus a real estate slump are draining the party's funds. To stay afloat, multiple provinces have issued bonds to borrow money from the public. By the end of November 2022, local governments under the CCP saw their debt top about $5 trillion. The figure far exceeds that year's 3% GDP growth. Coming up, is the Chinese Communist Party underreporting COVID-19 data? There's a lot of incentives for the Chinese government from an economic development perspective to significantly exaggerate a low underreport, a low number of deaths due to COVID. NTD's Capital Report host Steve Lance spoke to Rick Mehta, an attorney with a strong medical background, to learn more. Those details in just a minute here on China Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Ellie Hart, in for Tiffany Meyer. The Chinese Communist Party is believed to be downplaying the COVID-19 death toll inside its borders. Rick Mehta is an attorney with a strong medical background. NTD's Capital Report host Steve Lance spoke with him to get more details on Beijing's motivation. Rick Mehta, thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Rick, I'd like to ask you about a story that uh, has not seen enough coverage, in my opinion. Uh, that's the actual death numbers uh, from the virus inside of the country where it originated, China. Obviously, there are no checks and balances in that system of government. So whose job is it to hold China to account for the toll uh, that the viruses took? And why do you think this is important? Uh, you know, this is critical. And first off, you can't ignore the timing of all of this. Uh, when China had its uh, zero lockdown policy, uh, government officials in China were incentivized uh, in order to significantly underreport to basically feed their narrative uh, that their zero lockdown policies were working. When the Chinese nationals went to the streets and protested and China then slowly lifted their zero lockdown policies on January 8th, they reopened their borders. And then again, government officials were incentivized to exaggerate infection rates while significantly underreporting uh, the number of deaths. Uh, and again, the timing of this with China's lunar 
uh, New Year and the celebrations that were coming down. Uh, you know, they wanted to reopen their borders. They want to incentivize people to come back to China. They want to feed their economic development and tourism. And that, frankly, has been their number one goal since lifting of the lockdown restrictions. We see that over 69 percent of travel has resumed since 2019 back to China. So, you know, there's a lot of incentives for the Chinese government from an economic development perspective to significantly exaggerate a low underreport, a low number of deaths due to COVID. Now, Rick, CCP cyber authorities have recently come out and warned against, uh, quote, gloomy sentiments caused by pandemic, quote unquote, rumors. What rumors do you think they're referring to? And when the CCP calls something a rumor, what's the likelihood that said rumor is actually true? Well, I tell you, one of the rumors, and I'm not sure if this is so much a rumor or the truth, but, you know, in terms of the reporting cases of the number of deaths seen in China, first of all, the Chinese government and China has a responsibility to the world. Under the World Health Organization's international health regulations, every country that's a member is part of this treaty to help report so that you have a responsibility to other countries to see what the transmission of viruses are. But we know historically China continues to skirt their responsibility to the international community uh, and continue to feed their own interest. And so part of those rumors is, you know, what are the mutation strains? Uh, what were the origins of the virus? Uh, and did it come from Wuhan? And exactly what is going on in China? There's a lack of transparency. Uh, and frankly, the international community needs more answers about what's happening in China, because what's happening in China does affect all of the other countries, especially as tourism and travel uh, gets back to normal. Now we turn to a conversation about U.S. military power and whether America is prepared to fight a battle over Taiwan. On NTD's Newsmakers program, co-hosts Tiffany Meyer and Joshua Phillip spoke to Sebastian Gorka, former strategist for President Donald Trump. Gorka is a counterterrorism expert and served in the British Army Reserve's military intelligence unit. He's also worked for the U.S. Defense Department. Here's what he had to say. And Sebastian, speaking of weapons, what do you make of a recent study that says the U.S. weapons industry is unprepared for a China conflict, partly because of how much we've given to Ukraine? Uh, I would say in, in part, uh, we have not marshaled our resources well. Uh, if you look at what's happened with the amount of equipment, $83 billion worth of equipment that was left on the territory of Afghanistan when Biden surrendered and, and left that nation precipitously uh, last September. Uh, also, there hasn't been a lot of thinking being done in terms of what we're supplying to Ukraine and, and how rapidly we're supplying it. But there are far, far broader issues than, you know, how many bullets and bombs America has. Think of this, more than 90 percent of the medicines we have here in America, like antibiotics, we buy from China. If China decided that it wants to take Taiwan, it wants to get military aggressive in, in, in the, the, the Pacific region, and, and as a price of that, they say, oh, and by the way, we're not going to sell you the medicines that you've been buying from us for the last 30 years. Not only will we not be able to fight a multi-front war against a potential aggressor, but we probably won't have enough drugs and medicines to provide for our own citizens. So we have been in bed with communist China for far, far too long. And this is a nation with, with labor camps, with the Lao guy system. This is a hardcore communist regime. Why we are doing business with China as the son of somebody who escaped a communist prison, I don't understand. 
That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Ellie Hart. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.